lot of verses uh, last week, last time I should say. Uh, and then in verse 17, we're picking it up there. Uh, let's keep the context in mind. Uh, I was gone last week in Tennessee, so I missed the midweek study. Uh, I had a good, good excuse. I was in Tennessee ministering. Uh, but it's interesting because what the Apostle Paul is dealing with here is how the church ought to function. There's no, not a whole lot in the scripture about church government and what that is supposed to look like, but he's given us, God's given us more than enough. And he's set the parameters. And 1 Timothy chapter 3 talks about you know, uh, you know, establishing leaders, elders, uh, which are also called pastors. Some believe a pastor is a totally distinct calling from the elders. Many denominations feel that way or what have you. We here believe that uh, elders and pastors are synonymous. Uh, they just say some pastors do more than other pastors or elders. Some are full-time and what have you. Uh, and that pastoral role uh, seems to be synonymous with elders, which uh, the word elder, the term elder, could be translated, some translated bishop, overseer, the term can refer to an older person. One of the Greek words, another one of the Greek words refers to specifically to an overseer uh, and so forth. But First uh, Timothy 5 now gets into, uh, we've talked about elders in First Timothy 3. It gave the, the prerequisites, the qualifications for an elder and then also for a deacon. And if you notice the qualifications there, we went through them. They're quite the same. They're almost exactly the same except an elder has to you know, be able to teach, you know and uh, communicate the Word of God, and that's one of his functions. Although not all elders communicate or teach the Word of God in the same way or to the same amount, as we'll see in this passage coming up. Yet, in the Scripture, we learn in chapter 3, uh, after he talks about appointed elders and deacons, long before we get to chapter 5, look at what he says in verse 14. Chapter 3, verse 14. Uh, and we read in verse 14, Paul writes to Timothy, I am writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. But in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to what? Conduct himself in the household of God. Amen. Which is the church of the living God, the pillar and what? And the ground or support of the truth. So church, man, is, you know, is the pillar and support of God's truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. Amen? His word is truth. But we hold up his truth, his word, to the world. And we give forth a proclamation of the gospel, which you see in verse 16. By common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. He was, was revealed in the flesh. That's Jesus. God became flesh. Was vindicated in the spirit. Seen by angels. Proclaimed among the nations. Believed on in the world. Taken up into glory. Amen? So the church supports, holds up that truth, proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? And what a, what a, what a, we as a church have been given this incredible, incredible mandate. Amen? This great commission to pre preach the gospel to all the world. So Paul is talking about how we're to conduct ourselves in the church. And so what we're here learning tonight is we're studying scripture together. You belong to the church. That's the family of God that you'll be in forever and ever and ever. Amen? And right here is where we have the chance to make a difference in people's lives with the gospel. And also with those who are saved to encourage them in righteousness, to encourage them in Christ. Amen? So we ought to know what that looks like. And then we went to chapter 5. What did we look at? We looked at scriptures in verse chapter 5, the first few verses, about uh, how not to sharply rebuke an older man. That's, you have an older man in the fellowship, say he gets off an area. You don't sharply rebuke him. You go to him and speak gently to him in love. Amen? Speak the truth in love, 2 Timothy 2, with gentleness. Even if he's into false teaching, you need to correct him, but you need to do it gently. And he says to speak to him as a father, to the younger men as brothers, amen, to older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters in all purity, amen. So you treat your, the older women as your mothers, the younger women in the fellowship as your sisters with purity. We've, we've studied that. We actually did a few different messages on against adultery, Amen. Uh, and we also did a, a couple messages on pornography on Sundays to really get in-depth into making sure we're treating each other right. Amen? So that's very, very important, those messages. But these messages are very important because they talk about the lifeblood of the church. Not just our fellowship, 
But this is for the church around the world. And this is what it's supposed to look like. He's already laid down some things that are actually being destroyed today. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, he warned about the wokeism in the church that would come, or against what Paul, the Holy Spirit, through Paul, knew was coming, where he talked about the roles of men and women, for instance, and how women have been given the gift of giving birth to children, and how blessed that is. And Paul warns about the strain from family love, right? And he warns about those becoming effeminate, men who would want to be like women, malakoi in the Greek. And those are folks who in Paul's day would shave themselves like today to be like women and perfume themselves and act like women. And, and we're told by historians that they felt like anything goes. They could do whatever they wanted. Sound familiar? That was the malakoi of those days. And Paul warns that watch out for the role reversals. He warns in 1 Timothy 2 about how the, the men are, are to be the leaders, are to be the pastors. And the man was, it wasn't based on culture because he says the man was created first, but it was a woman that was deceived, amen? So this is based on creation. It's based on the word of God. That's all being subverted in the church today. I just saw a headline where the budget for the United Methodist Church, poor John Wesley, Praise God, there are a lot of Methodist churches that are still conservative Christian evangelicals, but the United Methodist uh, Church, has, a lot of it's become very liberal, and countless, I mean, I think it might be, in the, if it's not the thousands, at least in the hundreds, but I think it's in the thousands, of pastors and churches have left the United Methodist because of their turn to wokeism. And first it was the, you know, elevating women as pastors, and then now it's allowing, wanting gay, you know, gay pastors and so forth. And it says they cut their budget to, uh, I saw this today, they cut their budgets by several million dollars because the money is not there anymore in their churches uh, because so many have left and abandoned. And isn't that interesting? We're in an age of apostasy, but it's also good to see people are also leaving apostate institutions, amen, because they're saying this is wrong. And I'm happy to see that. But they're not being financed. But the passage we talk about today is talking about financing the church, the true biblical church. He's talking how about how to run the, the household of God. And then in verse 3, remember he says, honor widows who are widows indeed. When he's talking about honor, honoring widows and widows who are widows indeed, what's he talking about there? Does he mean just salute them or just respect them? Or what is he talking about there? Care for them. But how do you care for them in that context? Financially, right? Amen, Jay. That's the whole context there. If you're honoring them, you're going to take care of them. When it says to honor your parents, right? For this is the first commandment with a promise that you might live long on the earth. Honor doesn't mean, okay, you know what? You write them a Christmas card, you know, once a year. No, they took care of you when you were a little baby, amen? They changed your diapers. They sacrificed themselves. That means if they're down and out and they, can't have, they don't have means to get the next meal, that you're there for them. And Paul says, first and foremost, they should be taken care of financially by their own family members. However, if they're over 60 and they don't have any dependents, then the church is to step in if they've met certain requirements and they've been faithful servants of God. He gives a list of things that they will have done uh, and so forth. So he's talking about, as a church, we're different than the world. We ought to be taking care of our older folks. Amen? Amen. There's some places not only in the world, but in our country, states where they want to euthanize older people. They want to euthanize, well, if somebody's depressed, you know, well, you know, give them, let's kill them. Save a lot of taxpayer money and they don't want to, they don't want to stay anyway, maybe, you know. And it's amazing how cultures around the world in the West now just discard their older folks. So he's talking about taking care of the church. The church ought to be different. As Christians, we ought to be taking care of our older folks. Amen? We ought to be there for our parents as they get older and, and, and loving on them. And that's what distinguished the church in a lot of ways from the world. Even in the first and second and third century, many people became Christians. And I, I, I'm not going to take the time because we've already been through the widows already. But they took care of the sick and infirmed those who were cast out to the streets by their own relatives. The Christians didn't even know them as strangers. They took them into the church, and they adopted them and cared for them. 
And the world said, look, behold how they love one another. They were blown away. And Jesus said they would know what we are his disciples because of our love for one another. Amen. So now he's talking about taking care of the widows. But then when you get to verse 17, he now talks about taking care of the, the, the elders. Verse 17. The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. So the elders, he says, who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Now it's interesting. This, I find this really interesting. The more I meditated on this passage, I thought, isn't this interesting? Because the mantle of the, uh, of the pastors, or I should say the, uh, the apostles, not the full anointing, okay? Not the full authority. The apostles had authority over all the churches, right? But the leadership role that they had in the churches uh, for uh, uh, prayer and being given over the word of God, after they ceased to be, they died off, uh, who began leading the churches? They're already being established. Paul's, being, Paul's establishing who here? Timothy. Timothy was an apostle, okay? He's, these are the pastoral epistles, and he was being given authority over that church at Ephesus and told to make sure nobody teaches false doctrine, right? And so forth. And to establish that church and to appoint elders to lead that church. Well, I find it very interesting. This is the context where he's encouraging taking care of the elders in the context of right after he talks about widows. Why? Because when you look at First, or you look at Acts chapter 6, do you remember when we looked at when the first deacons were appointed? And there was that skirmish, not to go through all the details, we went through that a couple weeks back. But do you remember there was that skirmish between the Hellenized Jews and the native Jewish women, the, all the widows, and they felt, you know, the, the Hellenized Jews felt like the native Jews were getting special treatment and their widows weren't being taken care of. And then there was a skirmish and the apostles were trying to settle these disputes and then, to make the long story short, you know, a brother steps in, an apostle steps in, and says, you know what, let's appoint seven men, right? Because we can't deal with all these practical matters as apostles, so we can give ourselves to the teaching of the word and to prayer. And, they, they, and these deacons that they set up, one was Stephen, right, full of the Holy Spirit, amen? God even did miracles through him, radical men of God. But I find it interesting, the context there was, let's make sure the widows are taken care of. But let's also make sure the ministry of the apostles are taken care of. Amen? Amen. So they're not distracted with these skirmish issues that come up constantly, constantly like trying to solve debates between people so they can teach the word, so they can give themselves to prayer. Not that the apostles didn't get involved in situations, read Paul's letter. He had to. That's one of their jobs. But not to be overwhelmed by them, that's why God had deacons appointed. So I think it's fascinating. It hit me. I was just praying and thinking, and, and a lot of my message was pretty much done. I was thinking about, because I was in Acts 6 a few weeks back, a couple weeks back or so, I was thinking, isn't that interesting? That it was to relieve, not just to help the widows, but to relieve the apostles so they could function in their role. I thought, isn't this interesting? Paul deals with widows here. And that happened before Paul was on the scene. Paul doesn't get saved until several chapters later in Acts. And then he's dealing with the elders. But when you see how he's dealing with the elders, he's also making sure that they're taken care of so they could preach the word. What do you mean so they're taken care of? That's what he's talking about here. Well, it says to give them double honor. Well, what does that mean? And how does that take care of them? How does that free them up? Well, we'll, look in, we'll kind of just really get into the text. But we're talking about how the church is supposed to be conducted. Now, I just find it's interesting because the term honor definitely speaks, uh, that Greek word, okay, uh, speaks of respect, you know, giving leadership honor, respect. That's important because Satan hates leadership, hates, hates God, right? hates uh, a hierarchy, hates uh, a patriarchy, hates any kind of... He likes anarchy. He loves anarchy because ultimately he wants to rule, right? And out of chaos, you know, 
he can bring uh, unity under himself because he's a man of sin. Or Antichrist is a man of sin, but he uses him. So he hates order in the church. God's a God of order. How many parents out there that are parents know how important it is to have order in your home? You don't want one of the kids trying to cause division in the household and create anarchy, right? That's how Satan works. God uses leadership. And remember when Moses was leading the children of Israel, remember Korah stepped up, challenged Moses' authority, tried to bring division and destruction. God had the earth you know, open up and swallow him into the fire, you know. God is a God of order. So, yes, one of the things that is speaking here, here is honor. That's important. Uh, now, I want you to keep this in mind. He's not talking about just checking your mind at the, at the door and just accepting any old leader that claims to be a leader in the Christian church. Okay? There's qualifications for elders. We read about them in 1 Timothy 3. Many elders slash pastors today don't meet the qualifications in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And in Titus chapter 1. I mean, it says that they're not to be, you know, drunkards, you know, not to be given over to too much wine, not to be lovers of money, right? They're to be without, uh, you know, uh, above reproach. Uh, they're to, you know, manage their households well. Uh, they're to be, you know, uh, be the respectable men uh, and so forth. But today, I mean, they have to be, in fact, you know, in Titus chapter 1, verse 8 through 10, specifically verse 10, uh, they're to teach the scripture but they're all supposed to be able to oppose those who contradict the scriptures. They'll be able to refute them. You know how many elders could not be elders, pastors could not be elders, pastors today? When you have, I'm sorry, you know, it's just a reality. When you have a Joel Olstein up there, you know, just, you know, not sure who's really going to go to heaven ultimately, even if you actually need to know Jesus to go to heaven and, you know, and all these just weird things. It's like, doesn't really understand how Mormonism is a cult, you know? It, there's a lot of people that it's just heartbreaking. Uh, so when we look at the list here, he's going to go on to talk about elders who sin and, refu- and don't repent, how they're supposed to be rebuked before all. So uh, there's qualifications as well. Now, as far as respect goes, uh, in 1 Timothy 6.1, just a few verses later, Paul says, all who are under the yoke as slaves are to regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so the name of God uh, and our doctrine will not be spoken against. So there's an honor issue. We're to honor people. We're supposed to honor each other. Amen? But as far as leadership goes, and I I feel terrible. Not terrible, but I do in a way. I hate speaking about, but I don't because it's the Word of God. And we always say we preach the whole counsel of God. Amen? That we don't skip scriptures. But if I ever am going to skip scriptures, it's scriptures that have to do with money and helping people like me, leaders. You know me all these years, right? I, I rarely ever talk about, you know, giving uh, enough, I should say. You know, I bring it up here and there. But if you said, hey, Jimmy, can I have the last two or three messages that Joe did on giving? Would you be able to pull them up real quick, Jimmy? I only been six in 30 years. I didn't know how many there were. I guess there's six in 30 years. You know, that's, that's one every five years, I guess, if I do my math right. Okay, well, okay. Uh, so that's not a good track record, okay? But I go verse by verse through Scripture, a lot of passages we've been through. So I preach what I come to, you know. Uh, now I can decide to spend more time on certain verses than others, and these verses, when it talks about honoring leadership, are harder for me to preach. But, but as I've gotten older, it's like, no, it's the Word of God, Amen? And it has to do with the principle that we need to have as a family, as a church, that, so we can walk in the light of God. Amen? So if, if I'm going to be a pastor that says I preach the whole counsel of God, but when it talks about giving, and it talks about help, making sure you're helping the pastors or leaders, and, and you can ask Steve. I don't know, Steve, if I've ever asked for a raise, you know. I know there's a number of times I said, no, I'm good, you know. Although Steve would usually say, no, no, you know, it's been a while, you know. <laughs> I think there's only one time I said, okay, I'll take it, you know, without me, him putting up a little fight. But, uh, but God's been good to us, you know. I mean, I told my wife when we got, before we got married, it was part of the deal when we were getting engaged. You guys heard the story. I won't say much about it other than I said, you have to be prepared to live in a tent on the mission field for the rest of your life. Because I didn't know what the Lord had for me because it's never been about money for us. You know, I already found out a long time ago the most valuable thing to me isn't money at all. It never was. Most valuable thing to me besides Jesus and relationship with him, but I'm talking about the resources I have. One of the most valuable things by far 
way, way higher than money is time. What's money if you don't have time, right, to spend it? But I spend most of my time, I mean, my time is ministry because it's what it's all about. It's, we only redeem the time, the Bible says, for the days are evil, amen? So we want to use our time and our talent and our treasure for Jesus. So I, uh, I'd be remiss if I just went through these, past, these verses real quick, and I thought, well, since I don't talk about this a lot, I need to actually spend some time on this. So Jim, this will be number seven, although it won't be a lot of talk about you giving. It'll just be, and by the way, I'm not up for raise anytime soon, you know, so don't worry about it. It has nothing to do with that. Uh, God takes care of us. Carol was just at my house today with Lisa, and they're looking at Lisa's like, you know, getting some new furniture, and she's shaking her head like this right now. Don't talk about that. You know, so because uh, Carol and her had a big dispute because Lisa wants this pink couch with black polka dots. And Carol's like really like, you know, no, no, I'm kidding. I just saw her shake her head. She hates me to bring her up, my wife. Anyway, uh, Carol is a good anchor, though. <laughs> uh, but it's interesting. But we, I was looking at the furniture. I'm like, oh, yeah, that was given to us. And that was given to us. And that was given to us. So much of it. I think we bought the table. I can't think of any furniture that we bought in years and years and years and years and years. There's a hutch thing or whatever, probably not a hutch, whatever we're going to get rid of, you know. And I thought, but th- th- I'm saying that to say, God's been really good to us. We've been blessed by, you know, God's been taking care of us all, all along. Seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and he'll meet all your needs. Amen? And I don't want to get rid of stuff that we have. I like, I'm like, I'm fine with this stuff. It's so comfortable, you know. Then you're talking about a new couch may only last three to five years. I'm like, what? <laughs> you know? I don't know. It's crazy. Uh, it's the world we live in. Yeah, things don't last very long anymore. But I'll tell you what, uh, as far as honoring, when it says double honor, it definitely has the idea of honor. And here's what the scriptures say. I'll just read some of them off about honoring your leaders. And this comes to, if you're, if you're listening by way of live stream, it's the church you go to, and they're, you're going to a Christian church, and the, the leadership is biblical, and they love Jesus. You need to honor them where you're at. You know, Pastor Steve's one of your elders. You have other elders here. You have, you know, uh, deacons in leadership. You have different people in leadership, Sunday school teachers. The young people in the fellowship ought to be taught to respect and honor their Sunday school teachers. Amen? And we ought to all respect one another. That's the first couple verses. Amen? No matter what age they are. We're all supposed to honor and respect each other. But listen to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. So when leadership is respected and appreciated, there, and there's not gossip that way, there, there's, there's, it pleases God, and we're able to live in peace with one another. Listen to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and consider the result of their conduct Imitate their faith. Then in verse 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. It won't just be unprofitable for the leadership, but unprofitable for you. Listen to 1 Peter 5.5. 5. You younger men likewise be subject to your elders. And all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That shows me that when brothers and sisters are rebellious toward leadership, cantankerous, gossips, that, that's proud, that's arrogant. And God will judge that. He'll be opposed. You know, it's interesting because in James, when he talks about God being opposed to the proud, but giving grace to the humble, that's where he says to them, you know, he warns them, you know, about how, you know, they can become the enemies of God in that context. So it's very, very important that we make sure that we're right with God. So uh, there needs to be, and, and we need to make sure because, the, because do we see in our society, come on, do we see, remember what happened when everybody's in the streets and just destroying buildings and looting and it's going all over the place. Is there, are police officers respected today by and large by young people? No, you know. Presidents on both sides are routinely mocked, you know? Not that they don't set themselves up for an awful lot of it, okay? But there's a lot of disrespect going on today. And that's in Christian homes. That enters into Christian homes as to how young people treat their parents, treat their grandparents. 
I remember a few years back, I saw a grand, uh, grand, grandmother who was at a restaurant, and she was the owner of the restaurant, and I knew her, and her daughters would come in sometimes years ago. Uh, the place has been shut down for years. It used to be on Sequoia in L.A. You know, some of you know in restaurant talk about, I love that place. Shut down, but I remember the grandma, and she was just saying hi to their little, little grandchild and just loving on the little grandchild. And the grandchild's probably like two or three years old, throwing a fit and screaming and getting that nasty, ugly face and, and, and just angry and hitting toward her. And I thought, wow, and it just went on for a while. I thought, that broke my heart. I thought, man, you know, I just thought, that kid needs a little bit of discipline to learn some respect, you know, and wasn't getting it. And I just, my heart broke for the grandma. And I just thought, there's so many teenagers that are like that today. I mean, when you see the roles of how teenagers teach, treat their parents in television shows and movies, it's, it's constantly, you know, I've seen some things that I was like, okay, uh, that are just like, Wow, that's horrible. They almost always portray them as being very rebellious and that that's cool, you know? And that's the way it is today. The church needs to be different. We need to be godly. We need to respect and love one another. We need to be praying for each other. Amen? Now, I've been going through 1 Timothy. So if you're visiting for the first time or watching by the airways for the first time, say, I tuned in to Blessed Hope. They were talking about, you know, finances and stuff. Well, I go verse by verse. If you would have come a couple weeks ago when I was here, we'd be talking about widows. Okay? If you came before that, we'd be talking about adultery. You know, came on the Sundays I preached recently, we'd be speaking about pornography. You came last Sunday, we'd be talking about the burning bush and what a powerful picture God gives us in the burning bush of himself and his glorious nature. Amen. So we preach the word of God and we're faithful to it. Uh, Now it's interesting. Let's look at verse 17 again now. The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. I point out to you that the honor has to do with giving honor to them. But now listen up. This also deals with financial support. This deals with financial support. Supporting your leaders. How so? Well, three points prove that. I only need one point. The third point is just as clear as a bell. But I make three points because as I've been observing the text and meditating on it, I thought, wow, there's actually three ways that that is supported. And the first way is the Greek word itself, the word honor there. Actually, the word's double honor, right? But it's interesting, uh, when you look at the word honor, uh, the, word, the Greek word there, uh, it's interesting. But let me give you a couple translations from other translations other than the NASB. This is the a Holman Christian Standard Bible, which I think, I like that translation in many ways. All of them have, every translation, no translation is perfect. The original autographs are perfect, amen. But it says, the elders who are good leaders should be considered worthy of an ample honorarium, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. An ample, meaning substantial honorarium. Now that's interesting because it's taking the word translated honor in most translation. It's translated Translating it, ample honorarium. And what's an honorarium? Well, an honorarium is, quote, a payment given for professional services that are rendered nominally without charge. I thought that's interesting because the first time I ever heard the term honorarium is when I was an evangelist. And I still, I'm still an evangelist and a pastor, but I wasn't a pastor yet. I've been doing evangelism for years. You know, ever since, you know, you know, 19, 20 years old, I was doing evangelism at 18. All of us who witness are evangelists, amen. But I was doing evangelism in churches pretty quickly, not long after I became a Christian, but I started getting invited to churches all over the place. And when I get invited to churches and speak at churches, uh, uh, when I became pastor, I, I, don't, I, I do that once in a while still, but I, I try to be a faithful shepherd. I never want to be one of those pastors that's always gone, you know. And, and you know, I didn't want to be that pastor and, uh, but Lisa would travel a lot with me, you know, sometimes out of state, you, a lot of times in state. And when you'd preach somewhere and they'd ask you to preach, usually I was doing presentations like they sold their souls for rock and roll. Other times I'd been invited to speak on some, a doctrine or something like that. And Lisa would go with me. And almost invariably they would say, how much do you charge? Or would you like us to take a offering or we give an honorarium? 
And I never said, when they said, how much do you charge? I never said, I, I, I said, I don't charge anything, you know? I mean, as long as you're flying me out there, because I don't have the money to fly myself, you know, give me a place to stay, I'm not going to charge you, which tripped people out, you know? Because a lot of speakers would have, you know, charge a thousand bucks to speak or more, you know? 500 was a pretty normal fee for a lot of speakers. I would say, no, I'm, I'm you know, I'd say that's between you and God. And a lot of times when I'd speak, they said, we're going to give you an honorarium, and an honorarium was a money that was set aside for a guest speaker. So if we have a guest speaker that comes to speak in our fellowship and he lives off the ministry, uh, a lot of times we'll have an honorarium of, you know, a few hundred bucks or something like that. Uh, we have a women's retreat speaker, you know. Um, we give them an honorarium. for They spend two or three days with the women, you know, teaching and so forth. Uh, with the elders... It's pretty easy, man. We just don't get the we don't get the speaker outside the church, so it's pretty cheap, you know. Just cover your, cover your guys' room and board, right? You know, and uh, but it's just interesting. So I'd I'd always decline, and I'd say whatever the Lord leads you, I'm fine, you know. Leave that between them and the Lord. The Lord always took care of us, you know. I worked full time when I was evangel an evangelist, so tile setter and did other things too. Uh, but uh, so honorarium would be a, a, a stipend, you know, a certain amount of money. And that was interesting. So it's interesting how that, the, uh, the uh, Holman Christian Standard Bible translates that. Uh, now it's interesting as well because when you look at the, for instance, the New Living Translation, it says elders who do their work well should be respected and paid well, especially those who work hard at both preaching and teaching. The Amplified Bible says the elders who perform their, their leadership duties well are to be considered worthy of double honor, financial support, especially those who work hard and at preaching and teaching the word of God concerning eternal salvation through Christ. That is quite amplified, especially the end there, right? But it's, you know, it's nothing there is untrue. So there are three reasons, three reasons that the word honor there and it should be understood as also a financial support for elders that are giving themselves to so much, you know, teaching and preaching. First of all, the Greek word tamao, okay? Uh, it means a price, honor, uh, a value, money, paid, or valuables, by analogy, esteem, or the dignity itself. So it's interesting, sometimes that word is translated in regard to honor. Sometimes it's translated into financial assistance or financial blessing, and it's, just, it's interesting because I did a word search on that word, tamao, uh, that we find in 1 Timothy 5.17 about honoring them, the word for honor, right? The English word. And I found in Matthew 27.6, it's, it's, called, it's, it's, it's used the word price for money. But it's not about the price of blood, but it's about the price of something. In Acts chapter 4, verse 34, tell me what word is translated from that same Greek word that's translated honor in 5.17. See if you can guess which one it is. For there was not a needy person among them, that means the early church, for there was not a needy person among them, for all who were owners of lands or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales. Proceeds. That same Greek word, tamao, is translated proceeds. It has to do with finances often. I'm going to uh, quote Acts 7, 16. Same Greek word that's translated honor in Chapter 5, verse 17 of 1 Timothy, we read in 7.16 of Acts. From there they were uh, removed to Shechem and laid in the tomb of Abraham, uh, who had purchased for a sum of money from the sons of uh, uh, Harmer uh, of Shechem, in Shechem. Uh, Hamor in Shechem. Anyone to take crack of that? Sum of money. Three words, you know. Translated from that same word. So first, and it's first keep in mind, that Greek word often has to do with finances, not simply just honor. The second point I want to make to you is the same Greek word is used in verse 3 up above. How is it used in verse 3 up above? Look at chapter 5, verse 3. Honor widows who are what? Widows indeed. Now when he uses the word honor, they're the same word. Does he mean just show them respect? Or does he mean what? Pro financially provide for them. Amen? That's two points. Okay? You guys love to study the Word together? 
It's good to learn. The, it's good to learn. You, can, you, you leave with knowledge of what God's Word says about the family of God. And you get to see the heart of God. Amen? So it's interesting because the first, time, first point was that the Greek word itself not only refers to honor, but sometimes refers to finance, finances. The second point was the same Greek word is used earlier in regard to how to treat widows. It's used in the context of just simple honor or what? Financial help, financial support. That's two points. The third point is the one that's just the most clear. You only need this point, but I, you know me. If you've come at Blessed Hope Long, we like to go deep, you know, and dot our I's, cross our T's. And study a text, we study a text. And you go ahead and look at verse 18. The very, let's read verse 17 again first. The elders who rule well, 1 Timothy 5, are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For, what's the word for there for? It's connecting it with verse 17. And he's illustrating his point. For the scripture says, you shall what? Not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his what? Wages. There it is. Okay? And it's important because there's different groups like cults. The Jehovah Witnesses, for instance, they don't support their so-called ministers. Mormons, they don't support their so-called ministers. You know? I'll go to the people at the top. You know? Uh, but uh, the scriptures do teach support of eldership. Uh, so it's important to understand. So what's the third point? Verse 18. For scripture says you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. And the labor is worthy of his wages. Now it's very important. Listen to Galatians chapter 6, verse 6 and 7. The one who is taught the word is to share. The one who is taught the word, who's that? All of us. Uh, the one who's taught the word is to share all good things with the one who what? Teaches him. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this will he also reap. Now it's interesting when Paul quotes the Old Testament. He quotes from Deuteronomy uh, about how you shall not muzzle the ox when it's threshing the grain. What's the point there? When the ox would thresh the grain... They put an ox, they'd attach the ox to a mill, huge millstone. When you're in Israel, you'll go and you can go up close and check out these millstones. Huge, wait, wait, you know, a lot of, you know, tons sometimes. And, or many, many pounds. And they'd attach the ox to them. And the ox would go in circles around the millstone, attached with poles. And they'd throw the grain under the ox's hoofs. They're huge. And they'd be smashing the grain and they'd be separating the kernel, the edible part, from the chaff, which is not edible. You don't want to eat that. I mean, you can, but it's, you know, good fiber, you know. But uh, I sometimes eat whole grain and crunch the kernel a little bit. I put the pulse in the blender because I don't want to make it like powder because I eat some of that einkorn wheat and stuff that my sister Patty turned me on to, and it's, I love it, man. A cream of wheat that's really actually good for you from, from wheat that's been, if you look at einkorn, like Einstein, but uh, you're talking about wheat that's been around before Jesus came. It hasn't been changed. Pretty healthy compared to a lot of what's out there. But I have to admit, cream of wheat that's been processed is really tasty, you know. I just don't do it anymore, hardly. But anyway, it's cool because they, 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 their hoofs just, they're pulverizing that, man. Separating the kernel from the chaff. And then they get that, the kernels, and they get, you know, swept into the, the uh, millstone, right, under the millstone. And it gets crushed even more into fine, finer flour, Amen. But guess what? They were told, they were commanded by God not to muzzle the ox. Let him take some bites. Let him eat while he's working. In other words, he's, he's, he's plowing, right? In a way, he's not really plowing, but he's working for you. Feed him. And Paul's saying those who work in the ministry should also be able to be fed from the ministry. They're not supposed to starve. By the way, what if you just decide not to feed that ox? How would your production be? Of, of, you wouldn't get many kernels of wheat, right? Or corn or whatever you're having crushed. Same thing with ministry. You want to make sure uh, the ministry is well-oiled, you know. And a lot of churches suffer uh, because there's an old saying, you know, Lord, you know, we'll keep the pastor humble. You uh, no, you keep the pastor humble. We'll keep him poor, you know. As though that's, but that's not actually what the Scripture says, you know. And I want to go, whatever the Word of God says. Now, there's another extreme. The pastor should be incredibly rich, you know. 
they should have Lear jets, you know, and drive the, the Rolls Royces and all that stuff, right? And that's, that's, that's wrong too. 1 Timothy 3.3 says uh, uh, leaders that are lovers of money are not qualified to be elders, amen? And 1 Timothy chapter 6 warns about those who teach that godliness means a financial gain, that you can get rich by being godly, amen? That's unscriptural. And those who desire to be rich will plunge themselves into destruction. And because of longing after money, many have wandered away from the faith, amen? So, but there's two extremes. And uh, the Bible doesn't teach that you're trying to make the leaders in the church, you know, dirt poor, you know? Uh, and it's interesting, though, because Paul has a lot more to say about this, where he kind of spells this out. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And Paul is talking about his freedom and the freedom of the apostles and Christian leaders in and being able to be supported through the ministry that they're working. And he uses a lot of the, and it's like, he's almost, if it sounds like Paul's on the defense, he kind of is. This is nothing like 2 Corinthians. He's defending his ministry, which is even more radical. But 1 Corinthians 9, listen to what Paul writes here. Very, very important. And Father, by your Holy Spirit, help us to understand what you're saying to us through your word here. Verse 3, Paul says, My defense to those who examine me is this. Now, Paul was establishing new churches all over the place, by the way, guys. And sometimes he was making tents because people didn't know him. You know, he, he, got, he got help at times, but other times he didn't. And before pe people didn't, especially because he didn't want to cause someone to stumble, as he started a new church, he would make tents, right? And stay busy. But he was letting them know that I'm able to, take, I'm able to make a living off the ministry. And, that, and, he, and God has him say this to establish in the minds of the church in the first century the Holy Spirit how he wants to make sure the church is taken care of. Not just the widows, but those who minister to the church, the elders. So 1 Corinthians 9, verse 3, my defense to those who examine me is this. Do we not have a right to eat and drink? Do we not have a right to take along a believing wife, even as the rest of the apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas, like Judas and James? Can't we take, and Peter, can't we take wives? We have the right to take wives. Verse 6, or do only Barnabas and I not have the right to refrain from working? Wow, you know? And then Paul uses some common sense in verse 7. Look what he says. Who at any time serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat the fruit of it? Or who tends a flock, a shepherd, right? And does not use the milk of the flock, you know? And, uh, and it's just interesting because... I mean, can you imagine going to the Air Force, going to school for all those years to be a, a, a jet pilot, a fighter pilot? And they're like, wow, you're like one of our best pilots. We want you to, you know, fly mm, uh, the F-135, you know, let's say, or the F-35. Oh, great. I'm excited about that. I've been training for that. Yeah, you've got the highest grades. You're going to fly an F-35. That's amazing. Great, where is it? I mean, when do I get it? Well, you need to buy one. What do you need to buy one? You need to supply your own. Well, how much is it? $177 million? Like as of 2024. I can't afford that. Well, if you want to serve at the Air Force, you're going to have to come with your own equipment. Well, is there a cheaper one? Yeah, you can fly the F-16 for $63 million. That's quite a discount. Oh, Okay. Well, no, you don't have to supply your own, you know. Uh, uh, you're this, the Air Force, you know, they give you the room and the board, right? And they supply your needs, you know. In the same way, ministry, people that are serving full-time in ministry and give their whole lives up for it are to be taken care of. Uh, verse 7, of course, he mentions there the shepherd, the vineyard. Someone's, they're a, vine, a gardener, they, they do all the gardening, and it's their, whole, their garden, you know. And they use it to minister to others, maybe they're a steward. You know, even the folks that don't own the garden or aren't the stewards of the garden can come and take from the uh, fruit that have fallen down as part of God's welfare program. How much more the vine dresser and how much more the shepherd being able to feed uh, from his own flock. So it's quite interesting. Look at verse 8. I am not speaking these things according to human judgment, am I? Or is Because he's saying it's not just common sense I'm using. He says, or does not the law also uh, say these things? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not what? Muzzle the ox while he is threshing. God is not concerned about oxen, is he? 
In other words, guess what? God gives us that. Not that God doesn't care about oxen, but he's saying the point that's written isn't because God's saying, he's saying God's having that written down so we'll understand that he wants to take care of those. In other words, guess what? God's ministers, should, we take care of the oxen. We let them eat, right? In their day, they would let them eat while they threshed the, the, the grain. The ministers should be treated at least a little bit better than the animals, is what he's saying. Okay, are you with me? They should be treated a little bit better than the animals, uh, to, to say it in a humble way. And that's his point there. And by the way, he quotes again from uh, Deuteronomy, the same passage that we looked at earlier that Paul was quoting from. He quotes from the Old Testament. And it's interesting. Now go ahead and look at verse uh, 10. Or is he speaking altogether for our sake? Yes, for our sake it was written. That's why he wrote it down. Not that God doesn't care for them, but he wrote it down, had it written so we'd see God's love, right, for us. Because the plowman ought to plow in hope and the thresher to thresh in hope of sharing the crops. So the farmer, the shepherd, the vineyard, the vine dresser. Verse 11, if we sowed spiritual things in you, which Paul did, is it too much if we reap material things from you? Meaning that you take care of us physically. Verse 12, if others share the right over you, uh, do we not more? Nevertheless, we did not use this right, but we endure all things so that we will cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. There was a skirmish in the church of Corinth. And by the time 2 Corinthians comes, Paul, even though he started the church at Corinth, the super apostles have moved in and are trying to ostracize him. So Paul is trying to be careful here, saying, what is, what, your relationship with me, I, we have all these rights. And I haven't, used, I haven't used all the rights I have, Paul's saying. Verse 13. Do you not know that those, this is interesting, now he turns to the priest. Turns from, you know, the, the soldier for, to the vine dresser to the farmer, right? To the shepherd. And now he goes to the priest. Do you not know that those who perform sacred services eat of the food of the temple? And those who attend regularly to the altar have their share of the altar? He's talking about the Old Testament priests were able, were able to partake of the sacrificial meat. Their portion was given to them. God took care of them, is his point. Verse 14. So also the Lord directed those who proclaim. This is his conclusion on this section. So also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their what? Living from the gospel. That's New Testament teaching. Doesn't correspond with the JWs, the Mormons, the cults. It is biblical, you know. So, uh, and it makes a ton of sense. And it was hard for me, even as a young pastor. I didn't want to accept money from the church at first. I was still setting tile for quite a while. And I was, because it just, I didn't want to say, hey, you know, pay me. And brothers and sisters wanted to start a fellowship, and I got peace about it. We prayed about it, got peace. We saw it was the hand of the Lord, and we went into it. But I didn't take any money for a while. And then uh, eventually I had the elders saying, can you please quit your job? The church has grown so much that we need you full time. <laughs> said, I said, well, how much money do you got? No, I didn't say that. <laughs> That's funny because you know me. That's not me, right? But... But I just said, if, you know, that's okay. I, I knew it was the Lord's will that the, the church should start. So I said, I guess that time has come, you know. And uh, we, we went for it. And God's been good. He's met our needs, you know. And, and uh, we got a humble group of leaders in our, our I'm not calling myself humble, but I'm saying it's, uh, other leaders, you know, you be the judge of that. I try to be as humble as I can be. But uh, God takes care of us, and, you know, and it's just a beautiful, beautiful thing. And. Uh, it's just awesome. Now go back, please, to 1 Timothy chapter 5. Does 1 Corinthians spell it out pretty clearly? The God's word is so clear. I'm glad he doesn't leave us wondering about these things. 1 Timothy 5. We've already looked at the ox, right, threshing the grain as an example. Paul gives twice from the Old Testament. But he gives one from the New Testament as well. 1 Timothy 5.18. The laborer is worthy of his wages. Now, I think this is very interesting because at first he quotes the Old Testament, but who is he quoting here? He's quoting Jesus here. Jesus said the worker is worthy of his wages. Do you know in what context Jesus said that? Go to Matthew chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, and he's talking to his apostles. Matthew chapter 10, 9 and 10. Jesus is talking about them going and sharing the gospel, sharing the word of God. And he says... 
Do not acquire gold or silver or copper for your money belts. In other words, don't bring all this money to support your journey. Why? Verse 10, or a bag for your journey, or even two coats, or sandals, or staff, for the worker is worthy of his, what? Worthy of his support. Isn't that a trip? That's in the Word of God, you know? And God's good, you know? And I know, you know, there's ways. I mean, I've tried to uh, relinquish some of the support that, as a pastor uh, from Blessed Hope, or some of the pressure on the church because God wants the leaders to be able to be able to meet their needs. Can you imagine if pastors couldn't meet their needs and then they'd have to go get a job on the side, right? And the church wasn't meeting the needs. And then they're not able to give themselves to what? Prayer and the word as much. And then the fellowship doesn't get ministered to as well because the pastor is trying to just wing it at times. And early on when I was pastoring, you know, I was, I was heavily in the Word, so I was able to pull it off by the grace of God. You know, I drove 45 minutes an hour to work and back so I could study in my car, you know. I've had that habit since my wife has known me. She's just got used to it. Uh, she screams once in a while, you know, just kidding. But, uh, well, that's actually kind of true sometimes, but, uh, but we're pretty good. But, uh, it, but God's got us, you know, God, he's, he's blessed us. So I've never, you've never heard me complain from the, ever about, you know, we need more and you guys don't care about us. It's been, it, the church has been such a blessing. And if, and if the church couldn't meet our needs, you know, I would get a side job. I've worked for Good Fight long before I worked for Blessed Hope, by the way. And so I've been, Good Fight's been used by the Lord to support Blessed Hope, actually, financially, especially lately in some ways. In fact, many of the people that give to Blessed Hope came to the Lord through Good Fight Ministries. You know, many of the people that come on Sundays got, came to Christ through Good Fight. So it's been a blessing. Did you just, he just waved his hand right up here, Israel. Were you just saying amen, or was that you too, bro? That was you too. Praise the Lord. And, and man, uh, so the Lord is good. So the Lord uses everything to bring everything together. And... Uh, I just want to say that this is not a message about, you know what, poor Steve over there, man. He lives in the doghouse because they got kicked out of the house years ago. They just didn't want to tell you, you know, and, and you know, so-and-so. But those who are, but it's important also to understand the context of this passage uh, is not, it's not automatic. Oh, you just give to those elders who are full-time. No, there's a condition here. Let's look at the condition. Just like there was a condition for the widows, they had to be over 60, right? And they have a track record. They, don't have, they have to have no dependents that can help them. And they have to have a track record where they radically serve God. That they're just not there to collect a free welfare check. You know, there's all kinds of Christians in Asia. They see that the church will assist them if they become Christians. And they become Christians because they want the free rice. They're called rice Christians. Okay? No kidding. It's a term out there, rice Christians. Because they're there for the free rice, you know? And I'm sure a lot of those rice, so-called rice Christians eventually get saved, right? They're hearing the word, they get convicted. They come to know Jesus. So, you know, Jesus, you know, multiplied the bread and people were there for the wrong reasons at first. Of course, they were hungry. That's not wrong to want the bread. But to continue to follow them just to get bread, that, would, that became a no-no, right? But there are those that would become truly convicted. God uses things, amen? amen. So it's just interesting uh, when we look at this. But there's a condition, the support is not unconditional, just like it wasn't with the widows. Look again now at verse 17 of 1 Timothy 5. The elders who rule well are to be considered a, a worthy of double honor. Now, before we get to the condition, double honor. Some take this to mean they should get double what the average person makes. They should get double honor, because honor is, speaks of finances in the context and not muzzling the ox and so forth. I personally don't believe Paul is saying they should be getting double what everybody else gets. I personally believe that's an expression that they, need, they, should, be, they should be financially am, uh, uh, amply taken care of, you know, have enough to support their families, you know, uh, and be able to uh, be there for their children and, you know, their needs should be met. Uh, I don't believe double means literally twice as much. Uh, I believe it's an expression Especially those who, now here's the condition, especially those who what? Work hard at what? Preaching and teaching. So, you know, uh, it's talking about those who are involved in, 
you know, spending a lot of hours in, in working and, and, and teaching and preaching. You know, we've had elders through the years that do an awesome job, but they have different requirements. Some are full-time, some are not full-time. But preaching is expounding upon the Word, explaining the Word of God. Amen? And they need to be working hard at it. The word work there, I think it's interesting, the word work there, the Greek word means to work to the point of fatigue. So these elders uh, are elders who are working in the ministry to the point they're getting tired when they're doing it. They, they, they work hard. And by the way, some people, if they think, oh, I want to get into ministry, it seems like it's easy. Those are people that are a little bit ignorant. Just being honest, right? Uh, I'm talking about real ministry. No, I've served at Joel Osteen's church, and it's really easy, you know. No, I'm not talking about that, okay. When, before when I worked a secular job, I'm just to be honest with you, I've had a lot of secular jobs. And while physically you could get a little tired, I, was, I don't know what it'd be like at 60 right now, you know. But man, I loved it. I'd go to work, you know. I'd put in my eight hours, my 40-hour week, you know, and I'd... Get up, go to work, and man, I get home at 3.30, 4, I had the whole day before me. Every day. Lisa, do I have the whole day before me every day free? No. You know, you're up till, you get calls sometimes at 2 in the morning. We've had people knock on our door. Sometimes demon-possessed. Sometimes traveling, not demon-possessed, but from other states. Hey, I saw you on the internet, you know. Never saw him before, you know. You just never know. You get people with calls and stuff. It's because you're like a doctor and there's emergencies at times. You're like a fireman, you know, just without the pole and the same and the dog with the spots, you know. You still got some of the same hours, you know. So it's it's can be crazy hours. I'm not saying it's always like that, but you don't. A lot of times, people ask me sometimes, "What does so and so do? What does so and so do?" And I'm like, they just don't know. Sometimes I feel like I've I've had the elders, you know, that are full time. Phil, give me a list more than once of everything you're doing just so I can, you know, let other people know. Not that I need to know because I do know for the most part. But there's a lot of things I don't know that they're doing, you know. I share to them. They don't share counseling with me. It's not something I need. I'm talking about when it's something private that could embarrass someone. Don't share that with me, you know. Just keep that between you and them and God unless you need my help, you know. And, but there's a lot of counseling that goes on. You know, I, I shouldn't say it that way. It sounds like the elder's like, Joe, you want to hear about this one? That never happens. That's never, that's never happened. I thought I might be painting the elders in the wrong way. It's not like, hey, you know, woo, this one was crazy, you know. Uh, not that that never happened. I'm sure it happened one time or something, but I can't remember it, you know. But because uh, you love people and you want to help them. But it's a lot of, it's, it's work, you know. But praise God, that's what we're here for. I, we don't go through anything like Jesus did to save us, amen, on the cross. So I look at it as, what compared to what he did, I always look at it from that standpoint. We always want to do more, amen? But preaching, they have to work hard at preaching. That means expounding on the Word of God. And that means you're studying, man. It just doesn't come out of nowhere. You have to be a prayerful, seeking the Lord, a student of the Word, and teaching. Teaching is teaching the doctrines of the faith. It's explaining the meaning of sound doctrine and what they are. And not just expounding on them, 1 Timothy 1.10 again, or Titus 1.10, but knowing how to oppose those or refute those who oppose the truth. So that's why if you, if you talk about cults to me or world religions, I typically know somewhat about them. And it's not like I was even like, well, I want to be a pastor, so I need to know about all these different things, you know, and all these different doctrines. That was me before I was ever, ever a pastor because there's a gifting that comes with becoming a pastor or an elder. Uh, now, also keep in mind, it's important to understand, you can't always, you, you want to make sure that not every, you understand that everybody doesn't have the same gift. Because it's talking about elders here, but it's talking about there are certain elders that are working hard at their preaching and their teaching. Because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, there's different gifts and different administrations of those gifts. So you could have a gift of teaching and somebody else could have a gift of teaching, but it's just totally different. Because the Lord's using this person. I am so glad that when I read Peter, it's not exactly the same as Paul. And when I read Paul, it's not exactly the same or even close as John. Amen? I'm so glad the Lord gives a mixture because it's such a blessing. Amen? I believe that's why the Lord's given us, you know, the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and so forth. So it's very, very interesting and very, very important uh, to understand. Now, 
And, and by the way, especially in the last days, Paul said, preach the word. In season and out of season. Reprove. That means expose. Rebuke. That means, you know, <laughs> correct, you know. And exhort. Encourage. The time will come when they won't heed sound doctrine. Because there'll be a lot of false shepherds out there. And after their own desires, they'll heap of themselves, that's the people, they'll heap of themselves teachers that'll tickle the ears and tell them what they want to hear. And that's what's going on today. And I can't tell you how many people in our live stream audience, and I love you guys, man, love truth, and have searched all over the world trying to find some faithful shepherds of the Word of God. And tragically, it's hard to find. So if you're out there and you go to a church, you also listen to us, but you're in a church also, and you're like, man, I love this church I'm going to. I praise God. I listen to Pastor Joshima at Blessed Hope, but I also go to this church. It's a good church. Support that church. Support the leadership there. Because millions, hundreds of millions of dollars is being given to false teachers over and over again. Way more than it's being given to true shepherds of the church. And they're building these empires, and they're teaching the name it and claim it, prosperity, gospel, you know, junk, and leading all kinds of people astray. And it breaks my heart that there's all these churches out there languishing for support that have actually been faithful to the Word of God. Because people want their ears tickled, and they throw their money away. They, give, they sign their will, their life, their savings away when they die to false churches rather than giving money to sometimes their own family members and churches that will use it to, for the kingdom of God. And that's really a sad thing. So, um, all these scriptures are really, really important. And I want to encourage you guys in the Lord. Uh, also keep in mind, when you support ministry, you're actually ministering to Jesus. Amen? We've talked about that before. Jesus said, what you do on the least of these, my brethren, you do to who? Do unto me. And one of my favorite verses that ministers to my heart, and it chokes me up sometimes when I look at that verse, that just, like, oh, it's so, so beautiful because it shows the graciousness of the Lord in his heart. And I love this. You hear me mention this verse sometimes, Hebrews 6.10. For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. I love that. That shows you that God, the way you minister to your brothers and sisters, not just, I'm talking about just in general, widows, not just elders, each other. You're ministering to Jesus. And that blesses him. And he says, what you've done unto the least of these, my brethren, you've done unto who? Me. And you guys, this is serious stuff. Let's keep ministering to Jesus. We are the family of God. Amen? Jay, you led worship, but you blessed us, but you also blessed Jesus in blessing us today. And that labor of love, you know, we rejoice. You know, we get lifted up, and we see your heart and your gift, and it's just there's a beauty to your heart and what you're doing and trying to get people to seek the Lord. And, and it's a different style of worship, but it's a style of worship that, guess what? I see your heart, you know, and I, I just love what, you're, you know, you're doing up here. And I just praise I can enter in, you know, because uh, of your heart for Jesus and, and just the robustness of the spirit of worship and your ministry, not to me, but to Jesus as well. And everybody here that ministers, when you're taking care of the little children in Sunday school, you're ministering to Jesus. Amen? When you give somebody just a glass of cold water, even if he doesn't drink it when you bring it up here, I thank you when you guys do bring it up. I do get to it once in a blue moon, so I'm still open to water. You know, I thought, man, I should have said, I'll drink it once in a while. You know, I usually don't. I feel terrible about that. But you're blessing Jesus. When I bless somebody and it's late, or my wife says, oh, you got counseling. I know you're wiped out. I know you're tired, but can you fit them in? She just did this to me today. And I said, nope, fit him in. Are you sure you got I go, no, go ahead and put him for that date. I'll work it out. You know, we have that conversation all the time. And you can ask her, 90% of the time, unless I can move something somewhere because it's too crazy, I'll say, nope, don't worry, I got it, you know. Is it, does it help me sometimes when all of a sudden I get a phone call and I'm wiped out and the person wants to move the date? I don't go, oh, bummer. I'm like, honestly, I'm just like, okay, they'll put it next week. That makes it easier, okay. Just being honest with you. Steve, you ever have that experience? <laughs> Amen. So, you know, I'm real, you know. It's just, okay, I can take, I can use a little break here. But you know what? I'm not bleeding because I've been, you know, stoned to death, you know. We haven't gone through anything compared to what so many ministers of the gospel go through. Amen. 
And we're not, we should not be complaining. We're so blessed. And if we get stoned to death, we're so blessed in Jesus. Amen. Amen. But let's make sure we all do our part to take care. So when you're giving to the offering to support not only renting this building so we can worship Jesus together, but to support widows, to support orphans, to support the ministry materials that are going out to support the support of other ministries that we have, to support the leadership at the church. You're ministering to Jesus, and it's a good thing. Amen? Amen. So let's not be miserly. Let's be, not be greedy. Let's be a blessing. And Jesus said this, Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust do corrupt and thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust can corrupt and where thieves can't break in and steal. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Can we all please stand?